Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am, and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are also available on the 3CR website, that's www.3cr.org.au and the Freedom of Species podcast website. That's www.freedomofspecies.org. And all previous podcasts are available on iTunes. And thanks for Zigzag for filling in for Sally and Out of the Pan um, in the last hour. It was a great show, some really, really good um, songs on there. Um, and sh- for all of Sally's fans and fans of the show of Out of the Pan, they will be back next week. So tune in next week um, for Sally and a new year of Out of the Pan. Um, to start with, so we're going to have uh, a guest calling in today. So to start with, I'm going to play a song so that I can give them a call. And um, the song, it's, I've been quite liking this song over the last sort of month or so and it really rallies against that idea that as we get old we should just forget our dreams and our hopes we should sit down shut up and just become another sheeple in the uh in the machine um and i think this is this is a song that motivates me not to do that and here we go it's photosynthesis by frank turner uh the album songbook there we go This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. And you're listening to Freedom of Species on 855 3CR. And today we've got a special guest. We're speaking with Dr. Nash Nayate, uh, a vegan neuropsychologist. Um, and Dr. Nash, uh, Dr. Ash works with people to help them feel confident, happy, and empowered. And he's currently working on a book, and, and there's a language warning along with this one. So if you're um, sensitive to swear words, then um, 
tune out. But the book is called Staying Positive in a Fucked Up World. And that's a great title, I've got to say. Um, I saw Ash giving a talk at the Vegan Spring Festival late last year um, about burnout that many activists um, and vegan activists experience and what we can do to deal with burnout and approach burnout. And Ash is joining us today to tell us a bit about um, the relevance of new neuropsychology to veganism and discuss activist, activist burn, burnout. And I hope we get to talk about your book as well, if that's okay, Ash. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Adam, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, that's no, good. Um, yeah, so thank you for, for joining us. Can you, first off, can you um, give everyone a bit of a background? What is a neuropsychologist? So a neuropsychologist, if, if you think about the name neuro psychologist, that's so meaning brain psychologist, that's actually what we do. We're really obsessed with the brain and how it works and why it causes us to do the things we do. Yeah, okay, cool. That's um, certainly important stuff to be concerned about, especially in, I think, a vegan context. So can you explain how being a neuropsychologist um, is useful within a vegan activist context? Sure, and I'll I'll preface this to say that um, I'll direct this specifically to people who are already vegan and who are already activists. Uh, I think more broadly, neuropsychology is useful when we're talking about changing habits, so whether that's becoming vegan or if you're already vegan, becoming an activist, uh, because a lot of habit change is really around our brain function and rewiring our brain. So specifically for vegan activists, I think we find ourselves in some pretty sticky situations whether it's dealing with uh, infighting within the vegan activist community or um, working or um, communicating with people who aren't vegan. And I think knowing how our brain works is really critical to navigating some of those interactions successfully. So I'll give you an example. It's, yeah, you know, someone hears that you're a vegan and what's the first thing they do? You know, it's often coming across as very sarcastic. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're just one of those hippies. <laughs> you're one of those do-gooders. How, what, what is it that must be going on for that person to explain why they're reacting that way? And then what is that causing, or rather what effect is that having on us? And it all comes down to our brain wiring. And I think when you understand that, you're in a much better place to be able to work through that uh, in an effective and proactive way. Yeah, I like what you're, what you're um, pointing to there, which is something that I think might be often missed, which is one, I think, I think we, we as a community, as a vegan community, we're often pretty conscious of what other people might be thinking or, or feeling and, and we direct a lot of our um, advocacy, and sp- particularly chatting with other people, we're trying to sort of navigate that strange space that they've entered, that cognitive dissonance that they're dealing with. Um, mm. But I, I really liked just then when you said, we also need to think about what we're thinking and sort of have some sort of metacognitive sort of understanding of what our brain is doing when we are approached by those sorts of um, those people and those situations. Mm, absolutely. Mm, that's, um, that's a good one. So it's both the the non-vegan and the vegan, we've got to, we've got to think about our, how our brains and our behaviours are interacting um, in those situations where we're trying to have um, conversations and advocating for, for animals. Yeah, and I think it also um, by reflecting on ourselves, we actually improve ourselves too. Um, so I know that in my, you know, pre, 
in previous years, or at least when I first became vegan, I found myself getting angry quite a lot. And I still do, by the way. Mm. I just have a much better way of dealing with it because anger is not bad, but the way that we cope with it can sometimes not be helpful. And so um, early on, I found myself getting really um, evangelical and almost aggressive in my interactions and, you know, um, telling people that they were essentially, um, you know, murderers and, mm. you know, contributing to, to murder and harm. And, and I think by being... Just taking a step back, and you use such a great word, metacognitive, which is thinking about our thinking mm. and not getting caught up in some of those reactive, uh, impulsive um, mind mindsets that we find ourselves in and just taking a step back and thinking, oh, wow, I'm really angry right now. And if we know in advance the best ways for us to handle those emotions, we actually just have a much more peaceful existence for ourselves. So if I can share a personal example. Yes, please. One thing that I personally do, um, this is especially if I'm online, mm-hmm. um, you know, reading the Facebook comments, you know, which is obviously can be so, so difficult. The, the number one cardinal rule that I have is that if I read something and I find myself getting emotional about it and emotional in terms of discomfort, so I'm getting sad, angry, um, judgmental, mm-hmm. any of those things, then I actually don't do anything. I don't say anything straight away. I give myself at least five minutes, ten minutes. Sometimes it could be longer than that because I know that the first thing that's going to come out of my my, my mouth or the first thing that I'm going to start responding with um, is going to be probably not my best response. Mm. Yeah, it's it's reactionary and emotive, mm. and maybe not engaging all of your all of the um, thoughtful parts of your brain. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so whenever I if I if I know that someone posted something and I really want to read the comments and I know that the comments are probably not going to be good, then I just say to myself beforehand that no matter what happens, I am not going to type anything in response, not anything. And then I go into that and I abide by what it is that I've, uh, what it is that I said that I do. And um, that just makes everything more peaceful overall. Mm. Yeah, because I suppose when you're... Um... Oh, I'm so sorry about that. No, that's all right. When you're... Um... I might just... Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That was really unexpected. <laughs> That's all good. Um, when you're engaging that anger, I suppose you're you're also fueling it, aren't you? And you're you're making it possibly more than it needs to be, and it can go on for longer and longer. And not only are you maybe not having the best conversations you can with others that are possibly ignorant about animals or something like that, but you're also um, creating a negative experience for yourself by engaging yes. that anger. Absolutely. And you know, you know how what it's like. You, you you go on I'm talking a lot about social media here. Mm. Um you, you go on Facebook, you might you, you read something, it pisses you off and you write it maybe a snarky or sarcastic comment <laughs> and then a bunch of people respond to that and you you, you end up spending a significant amount of time thinking about mm. that interaction. And I mean, it's a we're only here for a certain amount of time. Um, we've only got so many hours in the day. Do I really want to be spending half an hour or it can, it can go on for days, these things sometimes. Do I really want to be spending that time feeling angry, responding to people who are also responding in anger? And mm. for me, that's just not worth it. Yep. So um, I think everybody needs to find the balance with which they're comfortable. As time's gone on for me, I find that um, that cardinal rule, just don't respond straight away. And then when I come back and think about it, maybe I will respond, but at least the response will come across as maybe a bit, di- bit diplomatic or 
um, a bit friendlier than if I'd just gone with my instinct. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I get what you mean when you say, um, like you're talking about social media. I'm just thinking about my own experience. I've sort of taken a big step back off social media for this exact reason. You know, I'd be worried about what others would respond to my responses and that would that would eat up half of my day so that mm. I would be less productive. I was being like anxious about others, um, the interaction between that that contentious sort of topical issue that I was trying to approach online. And it wasn't, it never seemed to get anywhere online either. Like it would be, I'd come from my position, they'd come from their position. There was no, no real conversation happening. Mm. Yeah, Mm. exactly. And um, I think you've alluded to this before as well, which is that when we're already feeling angry or we're hostile, um, so, so someone's being hostile towards us or maybe we're feeling a bit threatened, someone's a bit intimidating online, then we just can't think rationally. So in an angry conversation, if someone steps in and tries to be rational, they're talking to a brick wall because the way that our brains are wired, we can't be rational and be angry mm. or rational and fearful at the same time. It's just not possible. Yeah. So both don't engage with angry people <laughs> or try to try to de-anger them, like disengage and or... Don't engage when you're angry yourself. You mentioned that you said, like, when you first started talking about this, about using the anger in a more useful way. Was that just talking about letting the anger go, or do you think there is a a use that can be that you can harness the anger and not be angry towards other people, but use it as a motivator? Yeah, and I think being angry towards other people, I think that's actually a really good start because when we break it down, we're not really angry at other people. Mm. It's usually that we're angry at their behavior. Mm -hmm. And I can resonate a little bit with their behavior because I wasn't born vegan and Mm. I consumed animal products for 26 years of my life, 27 years of my life. So I, I do get that mindset of not wanting to know and, you know, oh, they're just animals. And I I get that mindset. I don't agree with it and I I can't really empathize with it anymore, but I can, I can understand, I suppose, why people would, would think those things. Um, And I think that the anger towards other people, no, it's really anger at their behavior and then using that anger um, in a transformative way. So anger, uh, so I'm going to post a lot more about this particular issue. I'm going to read into it and I'm going to pull out the elements that I think are going to be valuable for my family and friends to hear and and that's the direction in which I'm going to take my anger. Because anger is a really energetic emotion. Mm. When we get angry, that's why you know we gesticulate wildly and we pace up <laughs> and down and, and we get fidgety because we need to move. Anger is is a it's a hormonal cascade really that mobilizes us to do something. And if we just sit there trying to even trying to breathe, if you're really really angry, that it actually isn't going to work. So, I I get what you're saying about let it go. Mm. And to me, I think letting go doesn't mean letting go of the anger, but it's letting go of trying to control it. Yeah. Okay. So yep. it's like let it wash over you. And you know we have to have those moments that yes you know this sucks and the world sucks and why does it have to be like this and we have to allow that to it's like a wave we sort of let it wash over us but then the wave subsides and the question is where do we go next we let the wave just keep coming back or do we say okay here's what i'm going to do that's positive yeah absolutely i think you 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 hit on something really important there where anger is a really good motivator um, it mm. gets us gets us up and thinking, and you know when we get angry at the situation of the world, that's when that's when I'm most um, 
interested or motivated to do things that are going to change things as well. So yeah, yeah I think I think that's a really good good point to use that anger for worthwhile things. Yeah, yeah, and it's much better than say despondency or hopelessness because mm. that when we feel that we just want to give up and it's like it's just all too hard and why bother yeah. and we don't want to do anything. So when people go from despondency to anger, that's actually a really good step forward because now you you've got the um, the physical motivation or you've got the energy to actually take that action. So I know I, I know in the actors community there can be a bit of a stigma around anger and that it's bad. I certainly don't think it's bad and mm. it can actually be a good thing if if it's a choice between despondency and anger, choose anger. Yeah, great. Much better emotion, yeah. And and you and then thinking about how you'll channel that anger into something useful. Exactly. I actually find that one thing that I do often, if, I, if I'm having a conversation, usually with a good friend or um, family member, and they say something that really angers me, we've been over this ground time and time again um, about, about animals or veganism, I'll, I'll actually I'll step back and I'll say, what you're saying is really making me angry. And it's for these reasons that it makes me angry. And it sort of makes it more real for them. They, they, they often do a, a double take. They're like, oh, mm. okay. Okay, so like yeah. re- engaging in that anger and letting others others know when something they do is infuriating is yeah. also good communication. <laughs> yeah, and it and it can be just like you said. So you know, hearing you say that about animals, I find that to enrage. As you said, uh, you know, I find that to um, be enraging mm. or it's infuriating, and and these are the reasons why. Um, I, I would personally, I probably wouldn't use the language that it makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's actually that actually um, puts the power the, the power of that emotion. I guess it puts the responsibility on their shoulders. And uh, if, I know it's a very semantic point, and it's a very subtle one. I do think it's important though, because no one can actually make us feel angry. Mm, yeah, I feel angry from what you've said. Is yeah, know, yeah, that issue is what makes me angry. Yeah. You making this statement is causing me to feel angry. Yes. It's a cause and effect thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a, in terms of hearing about this issue, I get angry in response to that. But then to sort of imply that it's that person who's, who's making us angry, I think that that can put people on the defensive a little bit and which, again, shuts down that logic and reasoning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a very good distinction to make, actually. Thank you for that. That was good. Um, sure. Um, one one thing. So I read a recent paper. Um, it was actually done, came out of Adelaide, I think, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, and it was on cognitive dissonance and the um, cognitive dissonance that people experience when they're confronted with the meat paradox. And the meat paradox is where people both l- love animals, but they eat them. And they consume their flesh. So there's this paradox in there between their thinking and their uh, behavior you you'll know all this obviously um, mm. but they did a did a um, survey of lots of people inducing um, the meat paradox and cognitive dissonance um, around so inducing cognitive dissonance around the meat paradox and they actually so they were looking at um, the difference between men and women but also the responses that people had to those that cognitive dissonance and how mm. they how they sought to justify the cognitive dissonance, and they brought in the um, research around the four ends: the nice, natural, normal, and necessary. Um, but they mm-hmm. actually they actually described a new 
N, which was um, neutralizing. And it was quite interesting to, um, to see the... So they, they categorized all of these comments that they got back from people. And the neutralizing comments actually made up the largest number out of any of the other N categories that they, they type, typified. And I thought it was really interesting. It was, it was like people bringing up, oh, but I eat, I eat um, humane eggs or I eat humane dairy or cows that are from free-range farms or something like that. And I, th- mm. I, I feel like it might have been this change in how people are approaching the cognitive dissonance because vegans might be doing a better job at tackling those other issues. Um, it got me thinking, when someone is experiencing cognitive dissonance around the meat paradox, let's say, is it, is it unethical for us to, um, because they're, they're, they're engaging in these justifying um, comments and statements and behaviours to um, ease their cognitive dissonance, to get rid of that mm. discomfort, that mental discomfort. Is, mm. it, is it unethical, like, is it useful for them to stay in that cognitive dissonance? Does that help, would that help them engage with the paradox better? And is it unethical for us to help to to help them stay in that cognitive dissonance or is that something that's useful yeah that's actually such a good question i've often thought of this as well um with everything that we know now about psychology uh how how much of this can we use for the betterment of the planet and others versus manipulating other people and um I think, uh, yes, you're right, cognitive dissonance is so uncomfortable and when a person is experiencing it, they will make whatever rationalisations they can to avoid feeling that discomfort. I think a really good way of getting people maybe to move beyond that without dragging them, encouraging Mm. them to take that step out of it is actually by rather than telling them something, it's asking them the question, do you really believe that? Do Mm. you think that a animal who has been grass-fed versus whatever, so, you know, kept in, a, kept, kept in horrible conditions, do you think it really matters to that animal when it comes to slaughter time? Or have you really looked into what free range really means or mm-hmm. cage-free? And asking questions is good because we're not, we're not sort of making actual statements, but we can mm. frame our questions in a way that we're steering the converse, conversation in a certain way. And it does require that we know a little bit about the topic, whether it's eggs or um, or dairy or whatever. Yep. Um, I do think it's a gentler way because people are more willing to change their behaviour when it's them who yes. has come up with a solution versus being told what to do. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's lots of research out there that suggests if you tell someone what what to think they'll just entrench they'll, they'll dig in deeper um especially yeah. if you come from a, a, a the opposite side of their sort of thinking they'll dig in deeper to those um those thoughts and those opinions um values and attitudes mm. yeah that's a that's a good point i wonder yeah I, I, sorry i just this is a bit random but i was i was wondering if there's um so questions so when someone comes up with a nice uh, it tastes good is there a a set of questions that would be good to be able to throw back at them because then it makes them do all the mental work. They're, they're the ones doing the thinking. We're not telling them what to do. But it's also yeah. combating each of those different um, justifications that they might come back with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, 
it's, sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Go no, 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 I've, I've done. <laughs> um, so in answer to your, your question, it really is, you know, the, if we think bigger picture here, it's funny how vegans have to justify our actions when really it should be people who are harming animals or contributing to animal harm. They should be justifying their actions. Mm. And I always keep that in mind. So if someone says, oh, but it tastes good. So then I might ask, so should taste be the ultimate decider of whether we should do something? Because there are plenty of foods that taste good, vegan or not, plenty of foods that taste good that we probably shouldn't be eating. Mm. Um, Or we know that eating them is actually not a good thing. Or um, if a child was... I mean, a child, you hand them a packet of lollies and that child's going to say, "I this tastes good, this is therefore what I'm going to... I'm going to exist on this. And we know that taste logically should not be the decision maker and so i think just flipping them around okay it tastes good so should taste therefore be the ultimate decider yeah that's a that's a good point or if people say but but humans have been eating meat for centuries and so okay so should our past actions therefore justify how we choose to evolve Mm. so there are a lot you know to all of these um i I guess they're logical fallacies and to, to there are so many exceptions to them. It's really not that difficult to say, well, okay, but, but humans, are, they also, humans used to enslave other humans. Mm. Just because we did that for a long time doesn't mean it's okay. Women mm. used to be oppressed. Doesn't and, mean that's okay. And still are and still are. <laughs> both of yes, of course, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. Hopefully to a lesser degree than in mm. the past, but I, I, yes, there's definitely more work to be done there. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, so we'll go to a, a quick song and then we'll talk about after the after the song um burnout if that's okay so sure, this, cool the song that we're going to be listening to is called society by eddie vetter and that's off the album into the world you're listening to 3cr freedom of species negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded. I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. And you're listening to Freedom of Species on 855 AM, 3CR Community Radio. And that song was Society by Eddie Vedder. And it sort of, it, it, it describes a feeling I sometimes get when I'm fed up with 
people around me or or things in this world and this can often happen um in uh, as a vegan also like discussing animals and animal rights animal liberation with others and not really getting anywhere and feeling frustrated and feeling tired and feeling over it i just want to get away um and i think like this this um feeling is pretty common uh in vegan activist community or animal liberation activist community and any activist community um and especially when people are putting in a lot of time and effort and not seeing the things that they'd like to see the changes they'd like to see um and is called burnout um do you want to tell us a little bit about what burnout is dr ash sure um i guess burnout really is that state of mental physical emotional and spiritual exhaustion that comes from um doing the things that we do without rest reprieve or recovery so it's chronic stress but chronic stress at um sort of at the at the end of the road and unfortunately if we don't take care of ourselves meaning if we don't manage that stress then yes burnout illness or worse are often the consequences Mm. yeah absolutely and do you do you know what the um what the prevalence of burnout is in the activist community or the the animal activist community, do you deal with anyone that has burnout as a as a, psycho- a psychologist? Constantly, and I don't have actual numbers, uh, but I have to say though that out of there's a handful of topics which I'm often approached about, and burnout's probably one of the biggest ones, and it's it's everywhere. Um, so I would say out of amongst all activists, I think it's a significant issue, and particularly for animal rights activists. Uh, and because how, I suppose, of all the social issues, animal rights is one of the least favoured and, um, and you know, we're the ones who are mocked the most, humiliated the most, and so, yeah, burnout is huge. Yeah, okay, yeah. And um, so what are some strategies for first um, sort of preemptively dealing with burnout so you don't become burnt out or if you do mm. become burnt out what what can people do to help cope with that stage and, and hopefully get through it yeah a lot of burnout really comes down to recognizing when we're on the way there and i think as a society we haven't really been taught to deal with stress in a healthy way there's always this just avoid stress which actually isn't good advice we don't want to avoid stress we just want to manage it when it does happen and so um if we it falls under the umbrella of emotional intelligence which is a big part of that is being able to recognize and manage our own feelings and so um a lot of us don't recognize stress until we're practically panicking Mm -hmm. and, and that's not a good position to be in so a really good first step is to become introspective and to become self aware and recognize what does stress look like for us there's going to be physical changes. It might be sweaty palms or a rapid heart rate. Um, there's going to be cognitive changes, the things that we say to ourselves in our head, like if we're constantly saying this is just too much, I can't cope, I can't deal with this. Um, and, of course, emotional changes, which is just feeling tense, um, feeling on edge. Um, and then there might be other kind of lifestyle symptoms, not being able to sleep mm. or sleeping too much, changes in our appetite, maybe we can't eat because we're so stressed or maybe we comfort eat in order to deal with the stress. So um, being aware of what stress looks like for us is a really crucial first step. And then it's to develop strategies to manage stress. 
Mm. Um, and did you want me to go into yeah. those? Yes, please, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, we were speaking about anger before. Anger is a very innovating emotion, innovating, and stress is one of those as well. It's a fight or flight response. So when we're stressed out, we've got that all that adrenaline running through our body. Um, you know, we almost feel like we're electrified in a way, preparing us in the ancient times to fight or flee. And we have to do something with that stress. So we have to diffuse the stress hormones by doing something physical. So exercise, movement, taking a walk, um, running around after your dog, all those things are great ways just to diffuse those stress hormones. So our brain starts to come out of that fight or flight response and we can then take the next step in thinking rationally about our situation. Um, Then for for many people, some form of creative outlet is also good so that might be writing or painting or dancing or playing a musical instrument it's a way of getting out what is happening within mm. um, and I think it's also helpful to chat to someone maybe a friend and if or a family member if you don't have that person then to just write down it's almost like uh, word vomit onto a page just writing down everything that's going through your head and to try and find out the source of that stress and if it's something then if it's something that's, that you can do something about, is it something that maybe signals a lifestyle change is needed? Um, there can be so many sources of stress. So really paring down where it's coming from can then help us take the next step, which is actually to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I feel like, yeah, you tapped on a really good, um, touched on a really good point there, which is that this can often happen or the people that I've seen um, experience burnout and, and even myself, when I think about when I've been burnt out in the past, it's when everything that they're putting into the world is, is to do with their activism and they don't take the time to, like you said, have a creative outlet, um, talk to other people about it. They're just 110% focused and they they're mm. often they've often got calendars that are more than 7 days a week worth of work yep. around activism and it just gets exhausting very very quickly um mm. and taking that time to again I think reflection that's something that I that I teach in my in my professional life um mm-hmm. at universities is self self-awareness through um critical reflection and simply taking stock of okay I felt angry today what was the situation that I was in? Why was I feeling angry? What what did that anger lead to and what were the outcomes? Um, was that a good thing? Was it a bad thing? Just questioning questioning the experiences that you're that you're having and sort of learning from that, I feel is a reflective practice, is a good good way to, as you said, get a bit more aware of your your own emo- emotions and build up yeah. your emotional IQ. That's so good. That's that's perfect, actually, and because it it is an outlet, and we're also learning something about mm. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So, what about when someone, if someone is in the thralls of um, of burnout, which I am sure many of the people who might be listening have experienced or are experiencing, um, especially mm. over the Christmas period when things get a lot more stressful and you're forced into situa- social situations that might be um, uh, challenging. Um, what are yeah. some things that people can do to to deal with burnout once it's once they've got it? Yeah, and so I guess in no particular order, one good thing to look at is lifestyle. Basic things will affect our mental health and our ability to cope with stress. So the quality of the food we eat, the amount of sleep that we're getting, the amount of water that we're drinking—these are they sound so simple, mm. 
um, and so basic, but they have such a profound impact on just our ability to then be able to manage stress from there. So that's always a, I think it's always a really easy place to start with because it's so concrete and we know, okay, are we, are we getting the eight hours that we need or whatever? Are we drinking enough? Are we eating enough um, whole plant foods, which is so good for our brain? Mm. Um, another one is to, when doing that reflective um, writing or that self-reflection, it is to find that underlying reason that we might that might have contributed to burnout. A, a lot of us, it can be not being able to say no mm-hmm. yes. because we're so compelled just to do, do, do everything and our schedules become so full. So it might be setting boundaries just for the moment about what it is we are going to do and what we're going to say no to. And it's important to keep in mind it is just a temporary measure until we're back on our feet. Mm. So being really discerning about where we're putting our time and our effort. It's so easy, as you know, for time just to get eaten away. And before you know, we've only had three hours sleep and then we're not functioning at our best. Um, Is exercise a part of our life? Are we actually taking time just to do nothing and or just to go see a movie and and or spend time with our friends, our maybe not having conversations about activism, but just spending time just hanging out, just patting. We've got a bunny at home, so just hanging out with him, being present, being mindful. For some people, yoga and meditation is really helpful. Mm. Uh, it's just a way to unplug from everything. Maybe having some screen-free days or some device-free days just yep. to get back to the present moment. And all of these things. They might seem extreme. If we're already in burnout, we have to do a couple of extreme things just in the short term. And then once we're feeling a little bit better and we feel like we can get back into things, it's making sure we don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah. And uh, as you describe those things, so I, I, I was a bit burnt out last year. And as you describe those things, I'm thinking, yep, they're, they're definitely things that help me get back into, into it. And especially, I can't describe how valuable it's been just to turn off the phone and leave mm. the phone aside. I used to check it all the time and be on it, but and and even having music on, and I'd always have something on, and it would be a, mm. this slight distraction in the background. But just turning off the phone, not listening to the music, even when I'm driving now, I, I'll sometimes drive for half an hour without having the radio on, and just being able to sit with my thoughts has been really valuable. I've found to mm. reducing that stress that that I was experiencing. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And I think these days it can be really hard to allow ourselves that time because we feel like we're not being productive or mm. um, we feel like we're just wasting our time. But really, um, recharging is never a waste of time. Yeah, and, and you become way more productive when you do <laughs> you do um, take that time, I, I, I've found yeah. personally anyway. Definitely, definitely. It's kind of like um, if you're trying to build up the muscle, yes, you've got to do your exercise, you've got to lift some weight, but you've got to rest because the muscles are actually built during your rest period. So mm. um, during our moments of, of boredom, you know, air quotes, boredom, uh, moments of doing nothing, that's actually when our brain is relaxing and it is at our, we're at our most creative and we're receptive to all of those ideas that we have and we're, we're putting our unique spin on things and we come up with something that no one's ever done before or no one's ever looked at it the way that we have. And that can bring forward really great things. But we have to make space for those ideas to happen. And we're kind of, we are in this information overload, Mm. but also it's so tiring for our brain. You know, all the stimulation, whether it's just knowing that our phone is next to us. You know, they've done some experiments showing that even when people um, have their phone on 
um, they've got it off or on airplane mode. So even though they can't be contacted at that time, just the physical presence of the phone on the table next to them, it impacts their productivity and their concentration. Wow. So yeah. just, even just knowing that it's there. So all of these things, they, they wear us down mentally. And so by the end of the day, we don't even have mental batteries to sometimes to be able to think straight, let alone engage in that really deep, reflective, creative thinking. And it can turn into a bit of a um, bit of a vicious cycle. You know, we, we get up and we're tired and we sort of go, go through and push ourselves to do all the things we have to do, don't have the energy for reflection, and then so we just go to bed um, and then wake up again and do it all again. Yeah, that, that explains exactly how I was feeling. It's almost like the consumption of media was boiling. It's like I've got the boiler on high and sometimes mm. you just need to turn down the flame, turn it down to a simmer so you can get those flavours in there. <laughs> Don't always have yeah. it on boil um, and just let it let it think for a bit. But we'll go to a quick community announcement and then after that I'd love to chat to you about your new book that's coming out. Sure. Cool. Okay, here we go. This is a community announcement. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Have you heard about the Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, buses and more. It's at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne on Sunday, February 18th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focused seminars and tech talks. Entry is free. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au. The Alternative Technology Association is a proud supporter of 3CR. And you're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And today we've been talking to Dr. Ash, um, a neuropsychologist who is particularly interested in helping people feel confident, happy and empowered. And we've been talking about... Um, uh, burnout and also earlier on a bit of cognitive dissonance which was fascinating um and ash you've got a new book coming out um mm-hmm. soon and language warning on the title it's called staying positive in a fucked up world fantastic title love it very interested <laughs> into in seeing seeing what it says i feel like it's really relevant <laughs> um mm. can you just tell us a bit about your about your book what is it what are we what are you, what are we getting out of it if we read it um all that sort of jazz Sure. So this book really is for people who have a message to share with the world. So it might be animal rights. It could also be um, either women's rights. It could be racial equality. It could be gender equality. It could be um, they're fighting homophobia, transphobia. It could be that they're promoting a zero-waste lifestyle or a mm. minimalist lifestyle. There's so many social issues to advocate for these days. So this book really is geared towards the people who want to share a message and coping with all the negativity that comes along with that, not just from other people, but also from within ourselves, dealing with things like burnout, as we've already mentioned, dealing with things like anger and sadness and guilt and how to reconcile that so that we can stay positive and keep moving forward um, to share our message. That sounds like a very relevant book for many people. Um, and I like that you that you said that it's for all types of people trying to trying to push for justice and social justice issues mm. and a better world. Um, 
because animal rights is and animal liberation is, of course, very, very important, but so are all of those other important um, movements out there that are working for equality and justice around the mm. world. And without without one all of them, we, we won't reach any of them. So yeah, Totally. And I know there's many, um, even many vegans or many animal rights advocates, and it's not, they, they don't just support animal rights, they, they, also, they also support other social causes. So for me personally, that there are two issues about which I'm the most passionate, mm. um, which, which is animal rights, but also um, childism or ageism, children's rights. And there's a lot of discrimination against children in even in the way that uh, mainstream parenting experts advocate that we raise kids. There's a lot of harmful information there, very disrespectful advice that's given. And um, so those are two areas which perhaps are not as well addressed um, as, say, racism and sexism. Mm. And so I found as I was writing this book, I really came came at it from, okay, is this applicable is this applicable to not just animal rights, but also other issues? And if I'm a woman of colour, so um, also sexism and racism are really close to my heart too. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that, yeah, ch- childism or ageism, I, I'm not very um, up on that sort of stuff. I'd be fascinated to hear more about that at some stage. Um, mm. And I can definitely sort of, thinking about it, think about some of the problematic issues that go on when we when we say how we should raise our children as you said mm. um very very interesting stuff and do you have a do you have a date or do you know when that book will be available for people to get and where where they might be able to find it sure so uh the book has been written and it is in the pro- editing process which is very exciting um and in terms of a date i'm aiming to have this out in the next six weeks so um you know, fingers crossed that that's the that's the goal date if everything goes well, and I'll be have it'll be available in ebook format as well as hardcover. Um, sorry, as well as um, hard copy, yep. and it will be available through Amazon. Um, through I'll I'll be um, also selling copies myself, um, but through Amazon, a lot of the major book distributors. Fantastic. That sounds great. So within the next six weeks, when when you find out, let us know and we'll put it up on the, sure. um, on the Freedom of Species Facebook page. I will do. Fantastic. And thank you very much for your time, Ash. It's been a great conversation. I think I've, I've personally gotten a lot out of it and I hope that others um, listening have to have also. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love um, you know, sharing with like-minded people. Uh, people have got an important message to share. So I really appreciate you having me on. No, thank you for, for coming on and all the best with your book. Thanks so much. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. So this is Freedom of Species and that was uh, Dr. Ash, neuropsychologist, vegan neuropsychologist. Um, and we'll finish up now with a quick uh, song. Actually, no, before we go, I'm going to do a community announcement because the song might go over time. Um, so as many of you will know, uh, particularly those listening in Australia or via podcast, podcasting in Australia, Friday the 26th, next Friday is, um, invasion day or survival day. And it marks, um, so three, three CR, uh, is marking this year, they're marking Invasion Day with five hours of special programming from 11am to 4pm on Friday the 26th of January, 
We'll cross live to the rally that begins on the steps of Victorian Parliament at 11am, followed by an afternoon of deadly music, First Nation voices and updates from actions all across the land. If you your show is... Yeah, so... If you're if you're interested in um, what's going on in invasion on Invasion Day, tune in to eight five five AM three CR. There will be coverage from eleven till four, and there's also as that announcement mentioned, there's going to be a rally at the Parliament of Victoria in Melbourne uh, from eleven AM on the twenty sixth, and um, people are asked to bring flowers to lay on the steps of Parliament if you so desire. Um, certainly something worthwhile um, getting along to and supporting. Okay, so this next song, talking about a bit of a more hopeful world, um, it's David Rovick's After the Revolution um, on the album The Commons. It was a time I'll always remember I could never forget how reality came down around us like some Western movie. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.